Good morning, church. Hey, you know, it's been a while since I've shown you a picture of my grandson, Will. So uh, I'm invoking grandpa's privilege, which says that he can show, I can show my grandkids pictures. Come on, grandparents, you with me on this? Anytime you want, that's right. So uh, this is my grandson, Will. He turned one in December. He's doing great. Got a new pair of boots. Had to wear them out. And uh, I am told that there was mud in the backyard. Seems more like pine straw to me. But uh, isn't that look on his face just priceless? You know, when I think about joy, I mean, that's just like joy. It's like, ah, mud. (laughs) So there you go. That's Will. I'll keep you posted on how he's doing. So looking back on 2020, uh, we're going to be heading today into uh, a series out of the book of Acts that's going to take us through Easter and maybe a few weeks past Easter. We'll see kind of how it, how it ends up playing out, about 12 weeks or so. Uh, and our focus is going to be on Acts chapters 15, 16, and 17, and 18, 15 through 18, which is Paul's second missionary journey. I've entitled this series, uh, The, the uh, Trip That Changed the World, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, which is Uh, reveals the irrepressible gospel. Now, I'm not going to get too heavy into that today, although in the weeks to come, I'm going to really, we don't use the word irrepressible too often, do we? But uh, I'm going to explain why I gave it that title. So I'm very excited about about where we're headed, and I'm going to introduce that uh, this morning. But just looking back on this past year, you know, there has been... Uh, is uh, a verse and a song that I, I just want to share with you today have really become an anchor for my soul, a rock. Something uh, that I think of daily, that I'm reminded of daily. And that verse uh, really came out of the series that I preached through last year out of the book of Colossians. And uh, this was a verse, Colossians 3.12, that Quite honestly, it was just part of the prep that I was doing. It was, it's never been a verse that I've thought a lot about or memorized. But the more I meditated on this verse and thought about it, buried it in my heart, the more this verse has, has just really, really blessed me. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility gentleness and patience. I think that last phrase really speaks to how we all need as followers of Jesus, children of God, to be acting towards everyone else (laughs) with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It speaks to how we are to live out the love of God in our lives at all times. I don't think there's ever been a time, I know not in my life, where these truths, this, this description of who I am to be means more to me than it does today. But it's also this opening phrase, because it tells me who I am. I am chosen. I am holy. I am 
dearly loved by God that from the creation of time before the world was even created, I'm told in Ephesians 1 that I have been chosen by God, an adopted child of His. That is who I am. I am holy. Not because of my efforts to be better in this life, but because of what Jesus already did for me on the cross. I'm holy. I am viewed by Christ as holy unto Him, pure in Christ, set apart for a sacred purpose. And church, I am dearly loved by God. I want you to hold on to to these truths, holy, chosen, dearly loved. You know, this last Christmas break, um, my family and I, it was my daughter Jamee turned 17, her birthday's the day after Christmas. There's Jamee on the end, and there's Jamee right out there. Jamee turned 17, so we decided to do something fun and special. We went down to a pottery shop, although you don't make the pottery, but you, they have a lot of mugs and bowls and stuff all on their shelves, and you pick them out and you paint them, and uh, you kind of create them. It was just a, a blast of, of, a, of a day where we spent several hours just picking out mugs and, uh, and painting them. And uh, so that was how we celebrated. And then we went back, oh, five, six, seven days later when they had glazed them and done what they do in the, the kiln. Check that out. I know my language. And, uh, and so, uh, and we picked them all up. So here we are picking up our mugs. Now, my daughter-in-law, Carissa, I'm going to point a few of these mugs, not everybody out, but my daughter-in-law, Carissa, is an artist. I don't mean she's just artistic. She's an artist. It's what she does. So, bam. She painted a panorama of the Blue Ridge Mountains on her mug. That mug would probably sell for 240 bucks. I don't know. I mean, it's like, she won. All right, fine, great. It really turned out beautifully. My wife, uh, you can see, she has the word breathe on her mug. And the reason she did that is because that is her word for 2021. Do any of you ever pick a word for the year where you just say, I'm going to, this is kind of be my, my word. And breathe is my wife's word for 2021. And the reason she chose that, it's, it's really, speaking of Carissa, my, my daughter-in-law painted a painting last year that just simply was entitled Permission to Breathe. Permission to Breathe. And Carissa went out into the Blue Ridge, literally. They lived down uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. And she just painted a painting that depicted the mountains and gave it the title Permission to Breathe. And that really touched my wife's heart. And she connected that with Psalm 91.1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will, what's the next word? Rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I think that is a great reminder for all of us that we have permission to breathe. <laughs> Sometimes it can be hard to take a breath uh, behind these masks that, that we're wearing and in this world that we're living in. But I love that, breathe. So that's my wife's reminder. Now my mug, I'm going to show you, I brought it right here. And uh, it, it is just a reminder to me of these very things that I've been sharing with you. Chosen, holy, and dearly loved. No, I am not the artist of the family, but, um, but I, I wrote these words on my mug this year because they really, again, remind me that God has me in His hands, that He is holding me, and I, I want that truth. I hope and pray that as we make our way through 2021, that this truth anchors your heart, that that is who you are, 
That is who all of us are in Christ, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And I mentioned a song as well. It's a song called Waymaker. And this song, Waymaker, I've, I think I've thought of it every day. You are Waymaker. God, you are miracle worker. You are promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And it's this last phrase that I think just goes over and over again in my heart. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Church, that is who God is. That is who God is. He is way maker. Church, God has this world in his hands and has a plan and has a plan rather to bless this world working through us. Working through me, working through you. He is not finished yet. And we see this plan to bring blessing to the entire world. This plan, this never stopping, never ceasing plan of God until He comes again and brings us all home with Him. We see it throughout Scripture. It permeates the Word of God. You want to know what the Bible talks about? You want to know the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is God's plan to rescue the world through Jesus Christ using you and me. That's His plan, that's what He's doing. And it really, we see so much of it all the way back even in Genesis, the 12th chapter of Genesis, where God calls a, a, an older man up in his 70s, childless, by the name of Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a promise. That's God's plan for the world. All peoples on earth will be blessed through, through Abraham and through what God has done in and through the life of Abraham. Which ultimately led us to Jesus Jesus was a child, a descendant, direct descendant of Abraham as a Jewish man. And we see in Matthew chapter 28 that that plan and that purpose went way beyond the nation of Israel. Because Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples who make disciples, who make other disciples of all nations. There's the plan. <laughs> to bring blessing to the whole world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, don't ever forget, I am with you to the very end of the age. That's God's plan. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, because it is here in the book of Acts, written by Luke, Dr. Luke. In fact, we'll be introduced a little more to Dr. Luke here in, uh, in the trip that changed the world, because part of the, the world-changing nature of the trip that changed the world is Dr. Luke joined along on the journey. He got saved and, and became a part of, uh, of the church and a follower of Jesus. 
but, uh, but a man named Dr. Luke, he was a physician, he wrote not only the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but here he writes a second a volume that we call Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit that, uh, that really kind of take us beyond the life of Christ physically on earth to the life of Christ spiritually through each of us. And it's where this plan of God to bring blessing to the whole world begins to take shape. Look at Acts 1 verses 6 through 8. Jesus, these are the last words of Christ before he ascended. Uh, the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So much of the ministry of Jesus, so many people expected him to, uh, to, to kind of ride in as the, the great conqueror king of Israel, of Egypt, uh, no, not of Egypt, hello, of the Jews, of the Jews, the children of Israel, and but that's not what he was about. He said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is such an important verse because what we see happening now is this plan to bring blessing to all people, all nations, is really starting to take shape. And this verse becomes an outline or is an outline for the book of Acts. It is the work of God first in Jerusalem. Then we see the work of God spreading out into the region, Judea, Samaria, think you know, Franklin County, think state of Pennsylvania, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And then the promise of God to always be with us wherever we go. One of the things that really strikes me about this passage, these verses, is how declarative it is. You will. This is not a maybe. This is not a what if. This is not, well, it depends on what happens in the world and who gets elected or anything else. This is the work of God that will not stop, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. He's working. And part of that working is what God is doing to bring blessing to the whole world. So this is an outline. In Acts chapters 1 through 7, first seven chapters of Acts really are the unfolding of this first part of the outline, which is what? People in Jerusalem putting their faith in Christ. In fact, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts 2, 41. This is uh, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the, the early disciples, which at this point were not only the 12 apostles, but about 100 other people who had become followers of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and, and Zacchaeus and some others that we've met along the way in the Gospels. And uh, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit rather, comes and fills them. Peter gets up and preaches a sermon to thousands of people that are gathered in the, in the streets around Jerusalem. And what we see here is, uh, look at verse 40. With many other words, he war Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message and were baptized 
were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to, that, to their number that day. 3,000 people. So the church really was birthed and born and became, let's call it a mega church in one day. 3,000 people that received Christ and, and were baptized. Look over chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Peter, later on, he goes out and preaches a sermon again after he heals a lame man in the, in the temple courts and they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, Acts 4.4. 4. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. This is men plus women plus children. So we're now looking at 15, 20,000 people in Jerusalem are now part of the church. Look over at chapter 6, verse 1. The church continued to grow and expand in the city of Jerusalem, so much so that there were now organizational issues that were beginning to take place in those days when the number of disciples, not just believers, but disciples were increasing. The Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked and the distribution of food, etc., etc., but... Again, the number of disciples were increasing. Look down at verse 7 of chapter 6. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples, where? In Jerusalem, increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's happening. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And now thousands upon thousands are followers of Christ in Jerusalem. Well, you can believe Satan was not too happy about this. Satan is never happy when the work of God is going forth with power. So he gets busy. Look at uh, verse 8 of chapter 6. One of the deacons that were brought into a position of, of leadership was a man named Stephen, man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, opposition arose from the members of the synagogue and the freedmen. And of course it did. Satan wasn't happy about what was happening. And we then see in the end of chapter 6 and into chapter 7 of Acts that this man named Stephen was arrested. He's brought in and brought before the court, you know, the courts, the Sanhedrin, for questioning. All of Acts chapter 7 is a sermon that Stephen preaches. Before the, this, this court that is assembled and then ultimately look down at verse 54 of Acts 7. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They covered their ears. They yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed upon him. They dragged him out of the city and began to kill him with rocks. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're introduced to this man named Saul. He was behind Stephen's murder. He was behind his martyrdom. He was the one giving a Approval, that's what it means for them to lay. They, they didn't just randomly toss their cloaks, uh, you know, and, and they happened to land at the feet of this guy. No, no, that's very informative, the fact that Saul is ordering. He has a measure of authority in this situation. In fact, verse, eight of chapter, verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul approved 
of their killing him. And on that day, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 then, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, the twelve, were, what's the next phrase, scattered throughout, hmm, interesting, Judea and Samaria. It's happening. Even when we don't see it, God is working. And now the spread of the gospel beyond Jerusalem begins to take shape in Acts chapter 8. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women. Now, one thing I want us to see in what's happening here in the lower story is that we must never mistake God's silence for His absence. See, I have to believe in real time as this was happening to the people in Jerusalem as they're being driven out of their homes and persecution, they're probably thinking, what's happening? Where is God in all of this? (laughs) Sounds familiar, right? Church, we must never mistake God's silence for His absence. Why not? Because God is working. Even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel it, He's working. He never stops working. And sure enough, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to this man named Saul as he's literally on his way to a city, modern-day city in Syria called Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus, in a bright light, appears to him. We see in verse 4 of chapter 9, he falls to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you must be told what to do. He does that. He's blinded for three days. And God visits a believer in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray over Saul so that his blindness might be restored. And Ananias then says, I've heard a lot about this guy. He's not the nicest guy (laughs) at all. In fact, he's here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, no, 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 go. For this man is my chosen instrument. I want you to see the story here. To proclaim my name, where? To the Gentiles. It's not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea and Samaria, but now the plan is unfolding and it's going to happen through Saul. And I'm going to now begin bringing the good news to everyone in the world, to all Gentiles and their kings. It's happening. It's happening. And we see then, turn over to Acts chapter 13. We see this man named Saul, who a number of years later, probably over 10 years later, after he had, been a, had, had an opportunity to really be discipled and grown up in his faith, he and his later, his name is, his Christian name becomes Paul. He's joined by a man named Barnabas, and they launch out on their first missionary journey. And so begins, in Acts chapters 13 and 14, so begins the spread of the gospel to every nation on earth, a work that is still ongoing today. Now, we're not going to focus in on the first missionary journey of of Paul and Barnabas. It was actually a pretty brief journey. It probably lasted less than a year. I'll talk a little bit about it in the weeks to come. 
But our focus is going to be uh, on Paul's second missionary journey. And I'm going to show you a map. There had to be a map, right? Boom. God is doing something in this world, church, that will not be stopped. Okay? That's what I want us to understand. God is doing something in this world. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which interestingly just so happens to basically be the middle of the world. (laughs) When you look at any world map, you're going to find Jerusalem, give or take, right in the middle. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but not only there, but in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Here we are out here in Chambersburg. You see, church, this work that God is doing in this world will not be stopped. And as we make our way now through Acts chapters 15 through 18, Paul's second missionary journey, there are three things that I'm going to be referring to. Three things that I want us to remember as we make our way through this sermon series. First of all, I want us to know and see that these are stories that make sense. That's important to remember. This is not myth. This is not fable, fairy tale. These are things that actually happened. There was a man named Saul who was on a road on his way to Damascus and a bright light appeared and there was a man named Ananias who came and prayed over him. These things, everything that we see happening here, these places, these events, these stories, not just are real, but they make sense. They really do. And as we think about that, church, each, and, each one of us in our own lives are trying to tell a story and, that makes sense. <laughs> to place our lives in the middle of a story that makes sense. And the story of the book of Acts shows us that behind what happens, behind the events, the day in, day out events of the lower story, there is an active presence, God, who gives coherence and meaning to the story. We don't always see it in the every day or in the every week or in the every month or even the every year, but there is meaning to the story. In fact, even more than that, God is not just a character in the story. God is the author of the story. God is writing the story. God is telling the story who makes the whole story possible and whose nature and purposes, plans, are revealed as the story unfolds. Very important to remember that. Second of all, these stories and acts not only show the nature of God, the heartbeat of God, the love of God, the purpose of God, they also reveal the promises of God, listen church, the promise of God, to give us a new heaven and a new earth. This story is moving somewhere. And it, also, it ultimately is moving to the fact that each and every child of God is going to be redeemed and brought into God's new heaven and new earth. Church, this world is not all there is. Do not forget that. <laughs> Breathe. Take a breath and be reminded today that this world is not all there is. There is far more in store for God's children. We're not home yet, church. We're not home yet. You see, the God of the book of Acts is a God of promise 
who can be depended on to be faithful to his promises. Understand that. God didn't say to his disciples on that hillside, well, you might be my witnesses. This might happen. If all things work out, no, you will. I am working and you can be sure of my promises. I can be depended on. For the stories in the book of Acts aren't just a historical description of what was, but an exciting picture of what will be. Why? Because we're still in the story. We live in a world, church, where God is busy making good on His promises. I want to say that again. We live in a world where God is busy making good on His promises today, right now. Thirdly, the book of Acts, like the rest of Scripture, has as its purpose the formation and equipping of disciples. What this means is that God is still raising us up as disciples to impact the world. You see, Jesus came calling people to a new way of living and a new way of dying. It's discipleship. And like any good story, Acts reveals an adventure. Boy, does it. And it gives clues as to how ordinary people like you and me can make an eternal difference in this life. That's exciting. That's what God's doing. And we're going to see these things not just in the book of Acts and the story that changed the world, the trip that changed the world in Acts 15 through 18, but we're going to see it in our own lives too. And I want us to be reminded of what Jesus not just said, not just to the disciples, but said to me and you, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are in the story, church, today, right now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises. Lord, I am so grateful today for the, for the fact that I am, we are chosen by you. We are made holy by you and we are dearly loved, Lord God, by you. Lord, if there's anyone here right now listening to my voice that feels very lost and alone and afraid and overwhelmed, Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit you will speak and you will speak these words to each and every heart. Oh, fear not. I've chosen you. I've set you apart. I've cleansed you. And I love you so much. I have a plan for your life. Purpose for your life. And even when you don't see it, I'm working. Even when you don't feel it, Lord God, you say that you're working and you are. You're busy making good on your promises. So God, thank you. Thank you not just for what we can read in Acts, but for what we know you are doing today. Jesus, we declare that you are worthy. You are worthy. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.